This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Joy Challenge. Discover the ancient secret to experiencing worry-defeating, circumstance-defying happiness. Written by pastor and best-selling author Randy Frazee and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by The Witness, a Black Christian Collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter, at Burns23. Follow at your own risk. And joining me, as always, listen, we got to give special honor today, the man, the myth, the legend, the New York Times bestselling author. I got something special for you later, but we're going to respect Pastor Faison's time. But I got something special for you later. Just wait on it. Okay. But the New York Times bestselling author, Mr. Blue Check verified himself, Jamar Tisby. What's going on, brother? Happy Juneteenth, brother. I like your swag. I like how everybody's dressed on this thing. You know, we're going to do it right. Absolutely. And joining us, as you have probably already heard, is one of our good friends, someone we look up to and admire very much. He is the pastor of the Grove Church in Nashville. He is also a scholar. He is a voice. He is an activist. And he was also a keynote speaker at our first ever Joy and Justice Conference in October of last year. And I am privileged to welcome him on today. Actually, the first time he's been on Pastor Mike. So this is historic in and of itself. So the uh, Reverend Dr. John Faison Sr. How you doing, sir? I'm well, man. I'm honored, dude. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a fervent listener of Pastor Mike. So to be on, man, I'm gonna try not to fanboy out today. Instead, I'm gonna try to keep Nah, it. don't even don't play that. Don't play that. <laughs> Look, if you've ever heard Listen. this man preach, my goodness. Oh man, exactly. You, guys, you know, exactly. you know, we're so, the ones fanboying. Nah, that's man. it. All day. All day. You guys, you guys have, have 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 unapologetically carved out a space that was so long overdue. And man, just I appreciate I, I appreciate you guys so much. Um not limiting your impact and your influence to just church spaces, man. What you do transcends uh, and steps and bleeds into culture, man, and society and folks who don't even have the church language and the church lexicon hear what you're saying, man. And it, and it draws them to the faith and it gives them the, the, I think a proper uh, accurate glimpse of Christ. Uh, that is necessary in this in this day, man. So thank you for what you do, man. Y'all, you guys are incredible. Well, Pastor, those are kind words. Yeah, that's gapping us up for real. Let me return the favor because you inspired today's episode. You inspired today's episode because you've been teaching a message series that we're going to take and use for this episode of PTM Live on Juneteenth at Free to Be. It's called Not My Jesus. (laughs) <laughs> not my Jesus. Man, wow. you know, I know this ain't church. This ain't virtual church, but y'all might need to type that in the comment. Jesus, not my Jesus. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and say, That's not so my Jesus. Funny. Pastor, let's get into it. Let's let's get into it because what you're talking about is rescuing the Jesus of the Bible. You know, we talk a lot about Frederick Douglass and he, t- he talks about the difference between the Christianity of the land and the Christianity of Christ. And yeah. that the Christianity of the land is um, was is a women beating, you know, slave whipping, you know, o- oppressive gospel. But the Christianity of Christ is pure, peaceable, loving. In what new ways are you seeing 
the Jesus of the Bible co-opted by the American captivity of the gospel that led you to create this sermon series for your church, which I think is so significant and, and mm. timely for this moment. Man, it is it is a convergence of factors, right? We're in um, COVID-19. It is it is again, that is that word again, unprecedented. It's 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 a space we've never been in before. At least our generation has never been in before. We haven't seen one of these. I've never seen one of these. You've never seen one of these. Um, folks have to at least be 100 years old uh, to have have seen something like this Spanish flu in 1918. Right. The last one of these we've seen. Um, and it is in many ways a great equalizer. Um, everybody feels this. Everybody is feeling the pain and the stress and the grief uh, and the discomfort of COVID-19, being stuck at home, being quarantined, not being able to, 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 to disrupt it rhythms and not being able to visit family. And uh, e even our grief is, is disrupted. Our, re our remembrance rituals are disrupted. So you got to hurry up and bury people. you got to hurry up and move beyond uh, memorials and funerals for the sake of those who are still alive. Right. So everybody feels that regardless of where you are. But that has also set the conditions for the exacerbated impact of racism in the country. Right. So we've got uh, African-Americans make up 13 percent of the U.S. population, but we constitute 30 percent of COVID-19 cases and maybe even higher rates now of COVID-19 deaths. Right. Uh, uh, exacerbated impact simply because of the systemic and structural uh, kind of conditions that have already been set. In the midst of that, there is this um, co-opting of um, Christianity uh, at its root and its its or kind of its uh, from its foundational space into the space that has made uh being aligned with Jesus equal to being white, conservative, and Republican. That there is no space for otherness in that definition of Christianity. So what's happening is our folk now who are wrestling for faith and wrestling for uh, uh, a, a God that speaks to them get presented a God that seems to be antithetical to everything black of color or, you know, ethnic in any way. So yeah, I think it becomes our responsibility to translate the God, the, the, the Jesus of scripture to become the Jesus of culture, because the Jesus of America that we are presented, particularly in evangelical spaces, is not the Jesus of scripture. So the subtitle of this series is Reclaiming the Messiah from America and really trying to wrestle with how did we get this version anyway? How did it come? Uh, and American Christianity as defined uh, was white male evangelical Christian expression with whiteness being prioritized above any and every other description in that space. And when we understand that's how we got it, that then changes the lens through which we can view scripture. It changes the lens through which we can view the life and the witness of Jesus. When we see that Jesus was the king of kings, but didn't hang out with any kings. Jesus is the Lord of lords, but he doesn't lord over anybody. He walks on, with 
marginalized people. He, he, he positions himself amongst the struggling and the disenfranchised. He puts, he, he, I mean, from, from, from birth, <laughs> I mean, all the way to his death, he was, he was, uh, uh, placing himself amongst those and elevating those around him, uh, who were not privileged in society from being born in a manger. All right. All the way to, uh, riding in, uh, Jerusalem on a donkey, right? He, he, he selects these intentional symbols of anything that separates from what, what the, the, the culture of that day would call powerful and mighty. He says, no, that's th those are symbols that the culture has created. Let me show you what divine power and divine might looks like. It does not sit in high seats. It dwells in low places and elevates the people who are there to a higher realm. So I said a lot, but I, I hope on. I answered your question. Yes. Come on, you're preaching. I love it. Let's go. <laughs> Indeed, that's what we need. Uh, I, I have so many questions. One is this. A lot of our listeners, um, uh, both black and white, find themselves in predominantly white Christian settings, churches, uh, organizations, institutions. And so in that setting, I can clearly see why a sermon series called Not My Jesus would be important and necessary. Why did you feel that, you know, in a black church context, Still needed to still preach this message of not my Jesus. Uh, man, listen, uh, because even in black church context, we still have a lot of colonized faith within us. Right. Even in black churches, we, 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 we've, we've been given quite a few of our traditions, quite a few of our expressions from American Christianity. Right. Uh, one of the things that was stripped from us uh, through slavery and even beyond was the respect and appreciation for the African roots of Christianity. Man, you'll talk to people every single day. You'll talk to Christians on a regular basis and people are not familiar with the African footprint in Christianity. They have absolutely no clue. Man, the concept of the Trinity, right? God, the father, God, the son, God, the spirit. God, the spirit, something that we accept as just organic to our faith. We don't even argue about the Trinity anymore. We don't we don't debate the Philo Q clause. We don't, we don't do that. We accept <laughs> the Trinitarian uh, uh, perspective as the gospel. But what we don't recognize is that the Trinitarian perspective and understanding of the Godhead came from an African theologian. His name was Augustine. He was the Bishop of Hippo. He is African, North African. We've been told that Augustine uh, uh, is blonde haired, blue eyed, in the words of Lecrae, thin lips with a with a uh, with an ultra perk. That's that's what we that's what we've been that's what we've been told. Uh, we don't understand that there's an African footprint in Christianity, and when you understand that, then it sometimes helps you to demythologize the American version that's given to us that says. Jesus is uh, docile. Jesus doesn't. Uh, Jesus is not bothered or uh, uh, disturbed in any way by the challenges that we see. And when American Christianity, with whiteness as its prioritization, is pushed and promoted, you immediately get the distance between Jesus and justice. Immediately, it's automatic. Because if I preach, if I stand on a faith that prioritizes whiteness, 
then I'm never going to recognize otherness as unique, accepted, and of God. I will take whiteness as the standard and then shift uh, cultural expression into the form of whiteness and disguise it as Christian conversion. Mm-hmm. Wow. Been there. Yep. Man. <laughs> Listen, so that, that I, I want to build on that. That message on is that. needed in black churches. Yes. Yes. Not just predominantly I, white. I want to. I want to build on this concept of whiteness as the standard as it plays itself out. And I want us to get maybe granular, maybe a little bit more granular than what we would um, in an audience like this. But what are the implications of this in the way that we live, in the way that we worship? What are the implications of what this actually looks like? Um, Because I think for many people, especially uh, black Christians, even this is the air that we breathe and we don't directly confront it. And so what are the ways that you see that being played out and what are the ways in which we should confront that that standard, that white evangelical standard or whiteness uh, to be more specific? Um, one of the ways it shows up, probably one of the more recognizable ways it shows up um, is through symbolism and acceptance and even expression in worship. Worship, worship is, a, is, a, is a picture of what's accepted. I don't care where you are in your church. Um, who gets the microphone in your church is a statement of who's accepted in your church. Who leads, who who, who has the, the, the authority of setting the conditions in, spa- in certain spaces, um, really kind of become, become revealers of theology, revealers of perspective. African-Americans are used to being minorities. We're minorities everywhere we go, which it's it's just what it is. Caucasian Christians may not necessarily be used to that, right? And so it is easier for black folk to adapt in spaces where they're minority uh, than it is for white folk to give space to minorities in those places that that symbolize power in 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 spaces like church and in worship. I'll, I'll give an example. Um, worship becomes a, a picture of this because. If all I see is white teaching styles, preaching styles, come on, worship yes. styles as promoted, get into it. Let's get into it. Mm-hmm. That that style, that approach, is not only right, but it's divinely. Uh, uh, blessed. It, it, it is. It is. A, it is approved and uh, uh, sanctioned by God. And if there is not an intentional um, uh, uh, making of room for other cultural expressions, then to just support that one and to only see that one, you begin to think that anything else is not of God or somehow lesser. And so what you have is that uh, we've seen this in the black church when we have uh, African-American preachers, worship leaders, uh, uh, elders, whoever uh, go to predominantly white spaces. And that becomes the ideal of what it's supposed to be. Then they Mm. begin to critique other spaces that highlight culture. 
and highlight different expressions as you're not biblically sound. You're That's not they say. Uh, in line with theology. You, you are somehow emotional, right? To emotion driven and not scripture driven. Or these expressions are not right or in some way out of line with God, God's self. Because all we've seen is this standard of whiteness. When the truth is, there was African expression to Christianity before there was American expression to Christianity. And that mm -hmm. African expression to Christianity has always been rhythmic. It has always included music. It has always been free of expression and demonstrative. And the body was involved just as much as the mind and the spirit. All of these, this full expression of who we are. But if I go into a white space that prioritizes whiteness only, then when I begin to worship and operate in my way, I need to calm down because that ain't God. I need right. to calm down because that's too emotional. I need to, I need to shift to more white expressions because even without saying it, I have de facto created a space where whiteness means righteous. So so to, to build off of what Tyler was no, saying and getting in. Nah, hold up, Jamar. Jamar, you got to <laughs> let the beat breathe. Uh -uh. <laughs> no, hold up. Hold up. Okay, now you can go. We got we to gotta let that sink in. Y'all funny. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I froze you. <laughs> Messing Look, with you. Man. Look. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go off. Go off. Okay. We're we going to continue the momentum. So, Pastor, you are talking to a handful of folks who are going to be on Sunday. Uh, we're going to be preaching in the 17th. We are preaching in the midst of a wave of protests and uprising. And you're also speaking to a whole group of people who will be listening to preaching on Sunday. So I take exactly what you were talking about. I tell myself. So the seminary I went to and was trained at was not just predominantly white. It was almost all white. And uh, when they taught us preaching, it was, you know, we had Brian Chappell's book on preaching, which is valuable, you know, in its way. But it was, you know, kind of linear explanation, illustration, application, you get your two, three points, you know, all those things. If you're crafting a sermon hmm. where you have taken to heart this idea of not my Jesus, how might it be different? And if I'm listening to a sermon where I've taken to heart, not my Jesus, how might I listen differently? Hmm. Um, boy, that's, that's a great question. Uh, it's, great. yeah, that's, that's a lot. <laughs> let me let me see. I'll I'll I'll, I'll give you my approach. I, I I try not to try not to give uh over, try not to provide uh what I would perceive to be comprehensive remedies. I'll give you my expression, and 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 see if people can 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 dissect it and and see how it applies. I always want to I always I always want to um first of all interrogate my intentions. Um. What do I bring to this space, even while I prepare this sermon? Right hmm. uh, in this space, I'll be honest. I'm in two. I'm in. I, I vacillate between two places: fatigue and anger. Hmm. And I have to be honest about how I come to sermon preparation in this season. Uh, I have to fight for joy 
because fatigue and anger are my portion <laughs> right long through here. So I have yeah. to, I have to, I have to interrogate that this is how I come to the, this is how I come to the, to the space, to the space of study, to the space of application, to the space of exegesis. I come, I come tired and I come angry. And so I got to ask God, God help, help me not lose what I feel, but help me not make what I feel what you say. Mm. Help, help, mm. help me, help, help me, help me figure out how to work through my feelings and my expressions and my hurt, my pain, my anger. But for that not to be the dominant voice in this space, I need you to speak, but use this tired, angry vessel. So that's 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 the first space when I'm when, when, when I'm in preparation. I, I, I cannot come to the text. Without understanding how I come to the text. Um, that's good. I also understand that in this space, man, I have to be probably more teacher than preacher um, because I'm dealing with terms. I'm dealing with uh, a lexicon and, a, and and some verbiage that may not necessarily be mainstream in any space, let alone black church space. So I've got to slow down a bit. Um, if it, in this series, I'm showing more graphics and more photos because I want to capture the audio and the visual. I, 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 I'm, I'm trying, try, try, trying to be able to explain what I'm saying. Uh, and I try not to say too much because that's what I'm trying to say is kind of heavy and deep. <laughs> so I, I, I try not to do too much. I try to grab something and, and dig as deeply as I can in a 20 to 30 minute time frame, right? Um, I'd also tell people uh, that when you come to scripture or when you come to these moments listening to a series like Not My Jesus, you're going to be given some some homework. And so you got to do the homework for the class presentation to make sense. Right? Mm. If, if the only conversation you're having with a black face is listening to a black preacher, you haven't done your homework. If the only conversation you're having with these texts is just by reading the scripture alone. You haven't done your homework because there's a book, uh, a New York best-selling book called Color Compromise that might be part of your <laughs> homework. That, that There's a book called uh, I'm Still Here by Austin Chan Brown that might be part of your homework. That there, There's a book called How to Be an Anti-Racist by Kendi X. Ibram that might be part of your homework. So, so you got to do homework and you got to come to class. Right. Mm, <laughs> so, um, mm. so that when we start to share, that we don't have to create a glossary of terms when we come to the preaching moment. That I can use terms that you have already heard. I view, I can use terms that you already are familiar with. Uh, and if you're not, then I can. We can throw out some some additional resources. Uh, I, I I'd also say, um, this is a season for listening. Right. This this is a season for listening. And this is all of us. Right. We've been hearing a lot about uh, white folk in this in this in white people in this space. I need y'all listening. Uh, don't come here and try to lead. Don't come here and try to take over. Uh, don't show up late to the party and then try to host the party. No, I, 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 I need I need I need you to sit down. I need you to listen. We also black folk have to be in a listening posture in this moment. Because it's hard to share truth if you don't know where the deficiency of that truth is. It's hard 
to fight and combat, in some cases, outright lies that have been taught and 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 uh, promoted through faith expression and faith experience. If we're not listening to what those are, so it's it's the posture of we all got to come with a listening spirit in this moment. I mean, let's see, let's 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 go a bit further. Um, as much as the white church or predominantly white churches, evangelical faith needs to be decolonized. Black men in this space need some decolonization because what is happening is that what the what white evangelical spaces have done to black men, black men are doing to black women. Come on, Doc. Let's go there. Let's do it. Right. And 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 so it's important that while while we are helping to decolonize, we also recognize the need for personal decolonization and the deconstruction of our own toxic, venomous, dangerous kinds of embedded theologies that make us believe we're more valuable than they are. Mm-hmm. We're more important than they are. We, 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 our deaths are somehow greater in value and much more of a catastrophe and a travesty than black women's deaths are. And we've seen, yeah, we've seen this in the hashtag Olympics. You've seen this. You've seen this. You'll see a black man that dies at the hands of police brutality. And there's this outrage. You see a black woman that dies and it's not as much outrage. Now I have time to get into black trans folk. And and I I don't have time getting the LGBTQ folk who in this moment are being disregarded and being discounted and also not being valued as really the leaders of this movement. Mm. Speak Let's be honest. Faith leaders aren't leading this movement. Let's be honest, the black church ain't leading this movement. When you look up Black Lives Matter, you're going to see black, trans, bisexual, lesbian, gay. You're going to see all of this spectrum of, of people that are leading this movement who've been talking about this before George Floyd, who've been putting their bodies on the line before Armand Arbery. They, they've been they've been at this since Mike Brown, since Trayvon Martin, since since Amadou Diallo, since Sean Bell. They, they've been at this for a minute. And so it's important that we all come with a posture of listening and a willingness to deconstruct our own colonization. Because what James, James Cone told us this and uh, Paul Freire told us this in the pedagogy of the oppressed, that that oppressed people end up doing the same thing to those they believe are beneath them. And if we're not listeners in this moment, we will perpetuate the very things that have been done to us. Man, thank you. Um, Thank you, Dr. Faison, for that challenge. And that's something I want to receive as a man and sit in that. Um, Just want to shout out uh, my sister, Ali Henny. We've been having these conversations for a while and the challenge and the um, one of many women many black women, um, not least of which my wife, 
um, challenging what is present in us and what is so ingrained in us um, yes, that there needs to be, frankly, deliverance from, um, if I can mm. be so bold. Yes. Um, there needs to be prayer and fasting word. to rid us of. Um, and so I want to name our sister Toyin. I want to name Brianna Taylor. I want to yeah. name Nina Pop. I want to name these people who are being discarded and not listened to in these spaces. And their lives are deemed as less valuable. Um, so thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor. Um, I want to say one thing here. Um, I want to I want to address something that I think is present in all of these chats. And I have a mm. feeling as though there are people who are in this chat and feeling this as well. There is something pastoral. I, I'll say this. You know, I went to the, the evangelical college that shall not be named. And when <laughs> I left home, uh, Pensacola, Florida, Let's talk about taking uh, a the only, the only Look, man, <laughs> I'll hold it. I'll hold it. The only pastor I knew was a black pastor. The only pastor I knew was my father. And then I went to the evangelical school that shall not be named. And my pastor up there was white and it was different. It felt different. Um, and I'm not saying it was just the, the, the color of one skin, but it was the ethnicity. It was the, the culture. It was the, the, the love, the care that I felt or that I didn't feel when I was up there. And I can tell that there are people in the chat who are being nurtured and loved by you as a pastor who is distant from them. Um, and it makes people feel, and I had this conversation with uh, very briefly with a young man uh, earlier this week who said, you know, we talk about, do you remember your first black teacher or have you ever, how many black teachers have you had? He's like, man, we talk about that. I've never had a black pastor. Wow. Like I've never mm -hmm. had someone lead me. And as a black man, that's done something to me. And I just want to name the fact that there are a lot of black Christians in these spaces that have never had black leadership in the church, that have never heard a black theological or black Christian expression and perspective. So what would you say to them who are, who are going to be perhaps serving and leading and utilizing their gifts on Sundays and throughout the week? in white evangelical spaces, what is, what is the message that you have? You know, we're talking about not my Jesus. We're talking about reclaiming Jesus. Can you do it in a place where he's mm -hmm. captive? Um, can wow. you do it in a place where he's been restricted and limited? What's your, what's your message to black Christians in these evangelical spaces? Oof. Um, let me first say I've never been in one. I, I, that's, and, and, and I, I don't, you know, I don't mean that in, in any form of, of disrespect or disregard. It's that's, that's not what it is. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm explaining my, my experience. So I don't know how that feels. Uh, I, I, every time I stand, I tell people I'm a black church apologist. That's, 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 I'm born and raised black church. Uh, that's all I know. Uh, that, that's it. I, I've never been in a minority in a faith community. Uh, that I belong to. Mm. I've, I've, I don't know that experience. So uh, I know what it feels like to be a minority in this world. I know that. Mm -hmm. uh, and to have to take that to church faith space where it's supposed to be safe and supposed to be refuge is what, you know, uh, uh, Dale Andrews calls and James Cohn also calls kind of, kind of what the church is supposed to be. Uh, the place where you feel, you, where you feel safe, where you feel protected. 
vulnerable. It's okay to get naked in this space because it's refuge. Man, I've never had to do that in one of those spaces. And so I, I, I would, I would tell people, um, if you believe you are called there, and this is key, if you believe you are called to serve in that space, God will, by God's spirit, equip you with what is needed. God will protect you when it is needed. And God will give you friendships, relationships, and allies, safe space in order to be able to navigate that space. If you feel that you are not protected, if you believe you do not have the relationships, the friendships, and the allies, if you believe you are losing more than you are gaining in these spaces, I would encourage you, you need some time of reflection and some time to be with God. Because maybe the space you're in, you are no longer called to be. And, and, and no, 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 nobody can interpret that for you. No, 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 nobody can make that decision for you. You have to, you have, you, you have to wrestle with God in that space. You have to wrestle with what that means, what that looks like, what that feels like. Because I'm telling you, if you're called to it, God will give you what you need. If you're not getting what you need, maybe the issue is not the space. Maybe the issue is the calling. Mm. That is, oh, I'm gonna let that. I'm gonna let that rest, Tyler. Because <laughs> I think um, that is a word of liberation on a day where we celebrate liberation. One of the things that I hope comes out of this, not just this day, but this, is that black, black do not feel shackled to predominantly white institutions because of a misunderstanding of what a calling is or a misunderstanding of uh, a season and, and whether that season has passed. And so um, I very much appreciate those words. Pastor, what is the best way uh, for people to keep up with you and to access your work and your ministry? I'm a social media guy, <laughs> so I, I, I'm pretty, pretty active there. Uh, if you're on Twitter, uh, Instagram or Facebook, it's uh, at John Faison Sr., F-A-I-S-O-N-S-R, uh, at John Faison Sr. You can catch me there. Um, you can always go to our church website, thegrovenash.org, uh, or I've got a personal website. You can also check out johnfason.org. Uh, either way, and we love to interact, love to connect. Um, I, I don't, I never, I, I, tr I, I never come to these spaces um, as an expert. I, I, I don't, I, and anybody who claims to do so uh, is lying uncontrollably, <laughs> right? This, this is a, this is a learning journey, man experience for every single one of us. And, and what I think, what I think we need is the learning and listening posture in every space. And man, just, it's, I, I bring my experience. I bring my, 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 my encounters. I, I, I bring my expression. Um, and that's, that's all I got. And so I don't come as an expert, but I do come unapologetically. 
uh, I don't know a lot, but I do know my experience. Yeah. I do know my expression. I do know my journey. And mm-hmm. so me finding God in that and finding that God is alive and well in that space changed my life. It changed everything for me. Mm-hmm. I went to a predominantly mm-hmm. white seminary. I did. Sure did. Yes, I did. <laughs> and every day in that <laughs> space, man, I had to, I had to, I had to fight for validity. I, 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 had to, I had to fight uh, to 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 uh, to get people to understand that my expression was just as God breathed as somebody else's. Yeah. And man, I remember how exhausting that was. But I, I thank God that I grew up in a church space in a church environment that gave me the the the, the validation that I needed, so I didn't go into that space looking for it. I already had it. And so that's what I would encourage folks. Um, bury yourself in your history. Bury yourself in the in the stories of the ancestors, in the in the legacy and the lineage that comes before you. Because man, when you get it, when you get a glimpse of who you really are, mm-hmm. you're not gonna let somebody mm-hmm. tell you who you are. There you go. Yes. Amen. Amen. Well, Reverend Dr. John Faison Sr., I want to say two things as we close. Um, The first is, um, I believe this is a landmark podcast for us, just to be be frankly honest. This will be one that will be referenced for a while. Um, And actually, I was, you know, texting some people while you were talking. This is this is a moment for us. But this moment has been truncated by um, all of our responsibilities and things that we have to do and calls that we have to be on and your great gift is being pulled on in so many different ways. You're getting ready to be on the truce table, uh, national prayer call gathering as we were this morning. And we love our sisters at truce table and we honor them. Um, but what this means is pastor, we're going to have to bring you back for part two. And um, uh-huh. we're going to have to do it. We're going to have to do a set aside some time on prime time. Um, I, I'll just throw this out there to the team sometime in the next week to 10 days and and clear out some space and clear out our schedules and and have a and and get into it let's get into part two there's like five or six questions i didn't get to ask um so we're gonna we're gonna do that we want to we want to bring you back and we want to continue to to hear and glean from your voice so sir we honor you for giving us of your time and of your your talent and um and of your anointing and uh you're you're a friend not just on camera but off so we honor you sir you you pastoring a lot of us, Doc. You're pastoring a lot of us. Uh, the Lord is using technology and your voice to bring healing uh, through your ministry. So I want to encourage you from afar, uh, your brother in Christ, but also a, a teacher, a scholar, and, and, and the kind of pastor so many of us wish that we had more of in our local context. So thank you. Bless you, man. A joy, an honor. Happy Juneteenth, man. Uh, hope, hope you find some way to enjoy, get some, you know, get some joy is resistance, man. <laughs> One of the ways we fight yes, is by refusing to give up our joy. So listen, hope you find a pocket of joy today and swim in it. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That was this call. Come on. What you talking about? That was this call. <laughs> God, God be praised, man. This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Grieve, Breathe, Receive. 
Finding a Faith Strong Enough to Hold Us Written and narrated by Pastor Steve Carter Grieve, Breathe, Receive Those three words became a profound mantra for Steve Carter during a season of deep healing, the kind that comes after painful trauma. Grieve, Breathe, Receive is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Visit thomasnelson.com audio to learn more. Well, guys, that was incredible. That was a landmark podcast, as I mentioned. Woo. And I know so many of you guys are excited. And man, there's so much reflection to be had. But I want to stay true to our program and stay true to um, being online with what we were said we were going to do. So I just want to give Jamar, since he's here, a space to talk a little bit about the Witness Foundation to give us some updates on that. Um, I know so much is going on behind the scenes. And if you guys are unaware, we started a Witness Foundation um, as kind of an offshoot of what the Witness of Black Christian Collective does. And um, Jamar is heading that up and doing a phenomenal job. And so, Jamar, I want to give you just a couple of minutes to um, just uh, just give people an update on the new developments um, and all the things that are happening behind the scenes and also where people can can give as well. Thank you. Thank you for that. So if you were at or watched our content from our first national conference back in October of 2019, at the very end, during the last plenary, I announced the establishment of something called the Witness Foundation, the Witness Foundation. You can visit the website at thewitnessfoundation.co, thewitnessfoundation.co. Now, when I announced it, I, I we had a particular focus, but as we have been coached and mentored by people who fundraise for a by people who work on endowments, we have actually refined our mission. Now, before I get to that, I'm saying we a lot. And so who are we? Well, Bo York is our award-winning producer of the podcast, but he is multi-talented. He is an ideator. He is a creative. And so uh, he is part of uh, the team that's helping me launch this. And then I am so thrilled that God sent our way Shannon Polk. Shannon Polk is a professional in these spaces and is in charge of multi-million dollar grants and knows the field. And so she heard about the mission and offered to share her time, talents, and energy toward helping us advance this cause. Now, let me briefly tell you what we're doing. In a nutshell, we are identifying and equipping the next generation of Black Christian racial justice leaders. There's a very real sense, and I think more palpable now than ever, that we are in the next wave of the civil rights movement. And the question is, who are the leaders? How will they be equipped? How will they be witnesses? And we need in that, and the help is this. We want to raise a million dollars every year. And if we do that, we can fund a cohort of 20 black Christian leaders and give them $50,000 for one for two years each. And so it's a total commitment of $100,000 per leader. Uh, but along with that, we'll also give them training and equipping and in fundraising, in nonprofit 
management, bring in some industry leaders and some folks who have incredible experience. We'll set them up with mentors. Uh, they'll have collaboration partners with their peer group. And so it, it really is about uh, investing in leaders who can then invest in the cause of racial justice. So if you want to help out and if you want to learn more, go to thewitnessfoundation.co. You can set up a one-time donation or a recurring donation. Uh, the pandemic has has kind of messed with our, our our timeline a little bit, but but we are still making progress and we are still collecting donations. And you can hear more about it. You can sign up for a newsletter there, but visit thewitnessfoundation.co and be part of training and equipping the next generation of black Christian racial justice leaders. Man, that sounds incredible. Thank you so much, Jamar. Um, and I can't wait to see what God does with your efforts and your labors there. You have a stellar team. I'm a little jealous. Uh, so <laughs> we'll have that talk off mic. <laughs> All right, we'll see y'all a little bit later. Y'all stay free. This episode was brought to you in part by The Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.